Tyler, your birthday's coming up. It is. My birthday's on Friday. Yeah. What's your plan? Well, um, happy early birthday, by the way. Oh, thank you. Uh, you know, I'm taking the day off of work, but it's not for my birthday. It's actually because my wife's out of town on a business trip and because it's Veterans Day, which my birthday always tends to land on Veterans Day, which is pretty a pretty <laughs> solemn day to have a birthday. You feel yeah. a little like um, resistant to being so like, I don't know celebratory in a birthday sense when you're like honoring veterans you know i feel like that has to that should come first right it's a solemn um, day yeah it is uh but um because it's veterans day my son doesn't have daycare and so i'm taking the day off to chill with him and we're probably gonna like go uh get coffee and croissant and go to the zoo or something like that it'll be great i love that um does he have any idea that it's your birthday probably not well his birthday is coming up too his birthday's coming up too. He's his birthday's a week and a half after mine, and he, he's only about to turn one. So I don't think he has any sense it's my birthday. <laughs> Joint birthday party. Um, do y'all plans for his first birthday? Are you gonna do anything special? No, it's probably gonna be pretty low key. Although a coworker of mine who has a kid who's re- roughly the same age was like mentioned something today about having made some like big reservation for her daughter's first birthday, and I'm like, why are you making a reservation for a one year old's birthday? But hey, you know some people go all out for it, and I respect it. Um, we're gonna be, I think we're being pretty chill with it though. We'll make him a cake, of course. He'll have yeah, I was got, you gotta make him a smash cake. Yeah, so can... yeah. Oh, and he he eats fistfuls of stuff tonight. I like made him macaroni and cheese and he like with like chopped asparagus in it and he was like shoving handfuls at his face and like <laughs> knocking it on the floor for the dog and he's nice job jude he looks like i we always say that like when he's eating he looks like a little like um king henry the eighth or something he'll like take chicken <laughs> like chicken or we'll give him like a chicken bone he'll like no and it'll be like just juices all over down his face or something <laughs> oh I love it. that's cute i'm like his kitchen wench yeah <laughs> oh it is cute. pretty cute mm-hmm, mm-hmm. should we dive right. into this episode let's do it hello everybody and welcome to this american horror story an unofficial podcast about the fx hit show american horror story i am your host tyler moss here with my co-host Chris Husted, what's up, everyone? Hey, Tyler. Um, almost done with the season. We are. Um, we're on the back, on the back 18, on the back. That was a golf analogy. <laughs> back, I don't golf. Yeah. Um, we're, we're toward the end of the season. Um, yeah, the Sentinels episode six in NYC. Uh, we only have three episodes after this. Uh, I'll admit once again that Chris and I are splitting this week's episode. Um or this week's episodes, and we'll be recording episode seven uh, in the next few days. Uh, but I mean, to a certain extent, I honestly, I do kind of like it because I feel like when we were recording the previous ones after we'd like double watched, it was easy to start to confuse what had happened in which episode. Um, and you lose some of the tension of like already knowing what's coming down the line a little bit, you know what I mean? And so I don't know, I feel like there's been some value in splitting them. We also talked about how if people are going to go back and like discover this season on Netflix or Disney Plus or wherever it lands, uh, Hulu, uh, they are not going to maybe watch them the way that they were released on TV. So if you stop, if you're binging and you stop on episode five, you could listen to our episode five podcast as opposed to 
listening to episode six because we combined five and six together. So we kept them separate and releasing them also separate gives every, I think people some space to, to take it in as they want to. Yeah, totally. That said, I imagine we'll end up, um, we'll probably end up doing both the, we'll probably have to do the finale on the night of the finale. Right. And those episodes actually, I think are part one and part two. So maybe those will be easier to do in a run like that. Back to back. It'll be, yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. I mean, yeah, I leave Friday for Thanksgiving, so we'll we'll we'll, we'll discuss. Like a week from ah oh, man, yeah. Thanksgiving is that close? That's wild. Yeah, where is this year going? <laughs> Tell me about Holy it. Holy crap! Anyway, um, before we dive in, as always, we appreciate everybody uh, sending us questions, thoughts, theories at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com and also engaging with us uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash thisamericanhorrorstory, just commenting on, um, you know, the different posts that we use to announce new episodes or when something goes live or DMing us directly. Always great intel there. Um, one thing I wanted to call out from a recent post was Erica via Facebook pointed out that Hans, the who you'll remember was the like performance artist in the white makeup who gets murdered in the sub or or at least we like last see him alive in the subway, but then we see his dead body kind of seven style on the bed. Uh, Hans was actually based on somebody by the name of Klaus Nomi, who Mm. in the 1970s was uh, immersed in the East village art scene. He was known for his bizarre and visionary theatrical live performances, heavy makeup, unusual costumes, and a highly stylized signature hairdo that flaunted a receding hairline. His songs were equally unusual, ranging from synthesizer-laden interpretations of classical opera, that sounds fascinating, to covers of 1960s pop standards like Chubby Checker's The Twist and Lou Christie's Lightning Strikes. Nomi was one of David Bowie's backup singers for a 1979 performance on set of, uh, excuse me, on Saturday Night Live. And actually, um, Erica also on our Facebook page included a link to that video, which was very interesting to watch. Uh, I was about to say Hans to watch Hans. class uh, hang out behind David Bowie there. That's awesome. So, yeah, Real life inspiration. Yeah, it's been cool to kind of have these like little Easter eggs of background, interesting background information on real people. Yeah, like real cultural icons. Mm-hmm. Um, and before we dig into the rest, as always, we sincerely appreciate those who are a- uh, able. Um, if you know you want to um, reach out and help donate to support the show, support our server fees and everything like that, you can do so by going to buymeacoffee.com slash T-A-H-S. That's all caps. T-A-H-S. We sincerely appreciate it. And, you know, small whatever you have is is um, yeah, goes a long way. We always appreciate that. And uh, if you're not able, that's also fine. Just listening is you know, support enough um, right there. So we sincerely appreciate those who have also um, gone out of their way to to donate over the course of the season. And pass. Yep. Y'all are the best. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, before we dig into the Sentinel, Chris, what are you drinking this evening? I'm pretty boring. I got to get it up in a couple hours to go to a work event for a few days. So I'm drinking uh, half uh, an Arnold Palmer. <laughs> Let's continue the golf. <laughs> uh, Arnold Palmer, half uh, lemonade, half iced tea. Mm. and it's delicious that's out of season chris this is fall and i know summer beverage. <laughs> i found it in the back of the fridge <laughs> what are you drinking <laughs> i'm still owning the fall i've got my bourbon and cider tonight and i'm finishing off my my half gallon of cider so cheers to that cheers i do have some cider ready to go for our next recordings that sounds good can you take us through the cold open of the sentinel yes the sentinel so we pick up with uh um in whiteley's basement where we were very close to last episode uh, where he's uh, sewing a body of some sort. 
uh, one of his captives and you can, it's kind of a, a wide shot and you hear him talking and he says that he learned in history class that the squaws shoved, squaws shoved needles into uh, Custard's ear ears so he could learn to listen better in the afterlife. And then he said, you should have l- listened better. And I believe it's Henry that we're looking at. Um, and then we cut away and we are back on the outside of this building and we have Patrick and Gino kind of investigating on their own with no backup to Gino's frustration. And uh, he wants to go in. Patrick says no. And Gino says, you want to be Rock Hudson? You're not going in without Susan St. James. And I had to look that up. <laughs> Did you know what the reference was? I didn't, but uh, it seems to be a Macmillan and wife reference, correct? Correct. Yeah. TV show in the mid to late seventies, uh, starring Rock Hudson, uh, as a, it was kind of a procedural and him and his wife, he's a 50 something older cop and his wife, I believe if in the description is in her twenties. So that's the thing. Uh, and it went, it, it ran for a few seasons, but the, the essentially the part, they always started a fun party or this benefit or event. And then there's always a murder of some sort that they investigate throughout the rest of the episode. Sounds kind of fun. Well, and Rock Hudson as a icon was always known for being like this sexy female, uh, sex, I was sexy female lead, sexy male lead, um, that all right. the kind of, all the women fawned over. But of course he, uh, all that time was a, I was about to say a, a closeted, Gay man, but as, I mean, it sounds like within circles he ran, and people knew pretty openly. But it was right. not it was not public in media and things like that. Right, he wasn't out and out to the public, but he was out in small circles and family and friends. Yeah, lots been written about him and his relationships, I believe. Um, anyway, mm-hmm. um, and then as they get into the building, Gino and Patrick Patrick Scott's gun. Gino picks up a pipe. Gino apparently forgets that he was in the Vietnam War or Korean War. I can't remember which one he was at because all of a sudden he's very scared and makes a joke about how they didn't teach him how to do this in journalism school. Uh, yeah, that's a good that seemed point. A little, that yeah. seemed a little weird to me because like he was in the military. Like he's got his tattoo and and he talked about he knows what the smell of um, like burnt flesh is. And yeah, I don't know. yeah. So, I don't know. That seemed a little out of character to make him this kind of weaker uh you know nervous guy right um so but he is pondering what life would be like when they are not hunting serial killers him and patrick uh and how they could watch hollywood squares together and patrick says that sounds nice Anyway, they sneak in, they spot the bodies on the table. They find Henry alive still. Uh, just um, and just as they find him, like the chains like whirr and pull up the uh the sentinel, or just sorry, lower the sentinel. Uh, and of course, Gino and Patrick are just like gobsmacked looking at this thing descending from the ceiling. Uh, and of course, they are so distracted that Wiley sneaks up behind them and knocks them out, clocks them on the head, and they pass and they're they're out, and boom intro Ah, credits too easy for for whitely here way too easy um a couple things i I wanted to point out in this one first of all i think that's a funny point about you know gino being a war veteran and i feel like in this episode i'll note a couple other things that felt a little bit out of character for gino Mm -hmm. uh, at least as far as i was concerned um another thing i wanted to mention too though is i i kind of enjoy appreciated the banter back and forth between patrick and gino during this scene it was was nice to see them happy kind of joking with each other yeah it was a little cheesy especially given like they're like in 
in the warehouse hunting down the killer right but at the same yeah. time like I, I appreciated some of the dialogue um and then i don't remember if we talked about this with the sentinel in the last episode but the sentinel kind of being posed like crucified kind of in that position mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. that obviously that that feels symbolic too kind of yeah. descending in this like eerie glow and everything backlight some, yeah yeah metaphorical significance did you oh um the other thing i was going to say too is that for those that don't know a sentinel is uh, a term used to uh, describe a soldier or guard whose job is to stand and keep watch. So some interesting language being employed in how, uh, you know, Whiteley's talking about this body as a sentinel. I was going to ask whether or not you, um, what you made of Whiteley's speech about Custer being able to listen better in the afterlife and how that related to, I, I was trying to like connect it to like the killings and like, you know, how in death, Maybe I don't know. I, I I'll let you try to answer first. No, I'll... I I honestly I I couldn't put it together. I was trying to figure out like, okay, so why was Custer there? What was he doing? Um, you know, his last stand. Uh, what did he not listen to? What should he have done differently? And I didn't go down the rabbit hole really. I don't know enough about Custer to like make any you know um sense of that specific analogy but talking about this whole thing about listening better in the afterlife i was trying to draw it toward like with the sentinel i guess in the death of the people that whiteley kills he's trying to make the people who are still like alive you know listen better to what's happening to the gay community that was the best i could probably come up with but and also needles in the ears that i mean i feel like that would not allow you to listen better Fair point. Fair point. I, I can't make it much of the needles on the ears. Um, this episode was written by Our Lady J and Manny Cotto, who've already done a number of episodes this season. Uh, Manny, who's going for most words written in a single season of American Horror Story <laughs> episodes, yeah. uh, award this year, um, if we include stories as well. And then Paris Barkley, who I think uh, first episode Paris Barkley uh, directed for American Horror Story was uh, Bad Fortune last week. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, getting into the meat of this episode, soon after they were knocked out, uh, Patrick wakes up on an operating table um, without Gino anywhere nearby him at this point. Uh, I think we yep. see the Sentinel actually lying on the operating table across from across now, from uh, as as is his gun. His gun is just laying there on the table across from him. Um, and then we see in a separate room, there's Henry and Gino together. Uh, Henry is is back awake, and Henry kind of is a little bit like, and this he uses this moment to decide to tell Gino that Pat is too young for him. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, that we had a lot of dialogue in this episode where it was a little kind of, um, it, it reminded me of classic American horror story where there's a little bit of sass, a little bit of you know, jokes in a moment that kind of releases the tension of the horror that it could be classic AHS. I was going to say the same thing where it was a little light for the gravity and intensity of things that were happening at points Mm -hmm. in this. Um, I think it was, it was okay because the actors are so good that they pull it off better than lesser actors could. But I Mm -hmm. I agree that it kind of lessens the tension a little bit when they're doing that. Definitely. Um, You know, Whiteley, meanwhile, is apologizing to Patrick for knocking him out and having to gag him. Um, talks of being a fan, uh, I guess, just in terms of like respecting that he's a gay cop on the police force. Yeah, that was that was what I understood from it, that he's he respects the struggle that he's been facing. 
Yeah, and you know, trying to and surviving, you know, be the sole police officer up until now that's actually trying to investigate these murders. And in order to honor him, um, he decides he's going to cut out his heart and put it inside of the sentinel. Yep. And we get a pretty gruesome there's a couple of pretty gruesome scenes in here, which is again why the um humor I feel like it, like makes us feel a little dissonant. But we watch first as Whiteley cuts the old heart out of the Sentinel, which is kind of gross. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back to Henry and Gino, this is where things get um, gruesome pretty quick. Henry is like laughing at a poster on the wall that's talking about, I think it's cow viscera or something like that, which is effectively, as I understand, the waste. It, I was going to say, you probably know more about this for having reported on agriculture and stuff than I, but like, yeah, yeah the pieces of the animal get, bit, get thrown away, I guess, in like butchery and stuff like that is right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah and, and henry's kind of laughing at that analogy i guess to how they're being treated by whiteley a little bit um and he somehow manages to like at first i thought he just he actually broke his hand but he's still able to move it so i guess he's just able to make his hand small I think enough he... to squeeze it out like whiteley didn't put his hand like cuffs on tight enough on one hand that's what it looked like it looked like he slipped the cuff um have you ever seen the movie gerald's game i read the, the stephen king book uh, I have seen the movie. I haven't read the book. Okay, I haven't read the book either, but oof, like yeah. that could have gone way crazier and worse. But yeah, apparently he slipped the cuff and couldn't do the other one because clearly he was looking for a tool to help him. Ugh, and th- yeah, this is this is nasty. Um, at this, you know, he's looking for a tool to help him. I think the the chain, like the clippers don't work on it. He tries one saw on the chain and then he spots a bone saw. Um, at this point, at this point, at first, it's kind of like, why would he like jump to doing that so quick? Uh, but, you know, Henry uses this moment to say that, like, kind of what we had surmised last episode, which is that Henry knew Whiteley was responsible for a lot of these murders all along and kind of had just decided it was, um, you know, it was not his responsibility to do anything about it, which I do think kind of fits his character. If you think back to some of the early conversations he had with Gino when Gino was investigating, he kind of talks about how the way he survived up until now is keeping his head down. People mm-hmm. disappear in your life and that you just kind of keep going. So I, I did feel like that was pretty consistent. But then he sticks that ball gang in his mouth and saws off his own hand. Uh, and, and I mean, there's a part of me that's like, well, the blood loss right here, like wouldn't he pass out right away? And I, I mean, it was it was Without, awesome. He didn't like put a belt around it or cauterize it or anything. So, I mean, he probably should have died. I, I don't know. That, that, you've seen the movie Saw, right? I mean, it, years ago, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that was his leg. But oof, it's you got to put a tourniquet and it. Yeah. But anyway, it seemed really extreme for. Henry to kind of flip this to be so feel so guilty and say, I could have stopped this a long time ago. I, I owe this to my community type of a situation. And then to saw his hand off really quickly instead of like searching for a possible other solution. It was intense, but even I mean, Gina's like, bro. <laughs> he is, but I guess we learned his urgency is warranted because back in the other room, you yeah. know, Whiteley's about to cut Patrick's heart out. of the essence. So at this particular scene, we learn something. And like you do notice in the opening when, when the Sentinel's lowered, there's like bags attached to the Sentinel, which I don't mm-hmm. remember noticing the first time around uh, last I week. Didn't, I didn't either. I thought, yeah. So I, I noticed that as well this time around, but not previously. But I didn't follow this fully. But here, Whiteley basically is saying something to the extent of like, 
I don't know that it, I would go so far as to say that the Sentinel is, is really alive, but apparently he's trying to like hook up these disparate systems. So that way, if he like shocks them, the blood will start flowing through the body somehow. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a whole almost like Dr. Frankenstein situation happening here. Right. Yeah. He says he's got some formaldehyde keeping things, you know, prepped and ready. He has, um, um, the organs in the correct positions and stored in a way that they're still alive. And he says that he would eventually when he gets the heart in, he'll be able to give some of his own blood and then yeah, shock the heart through a defibrillator or something back to life to bring the Sentinel to actual life. Right. Yeah. Um, And, you know, just in time, Gino and Henry enter Gino with the chainsaw uh, and Whiteley immediately kind of starts to explain himself again. You know, I wasn't torturing you talking to Gino when he was sticking things under his nails. I was testing you, he says. Um, and he kind of gives his spiel about how he was trying to emphasize the danger um, the gay community fa- faces by being the danger himself, kind of, which, you know. Okay. There's some sort of backward <laughs> logic there, I guess, yeah. that Gino seems to come to terms with later on. We'll talk about when we get there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, Whiteley believes the Sentinel will show the world the gay community suffering and, quote unquote, redeem them. Um, but then, so Patrick has his gun. He's pointing it at Whiteley. His vision does some kind of weird, like, spreading out. And I, I think what we're seeing is, like, I think what we're seeing is all the people Whiteley killed. I don't know if that's what your sense was too yeah you see a lot of the dead bodies um in their forms the original forms um kind of lined behind him yeah and this is a pretty artistic kind of scene here because he shoots whitely in the head and there's like a blood effect on this giant light behind him that almost looks like blood dripping down an eyeball is that oh i didn't i didn't think that i did like the the imagery it was it was kind of cool with the splatter and the you know the light but um an eyeball that's that's a that's an interesting take on it. i like it yeah he he yeah when he says this too when he says or whitely says he deserves redemption and because of all the things that he's been through or whatever and and patrick sort of says like i get it but no you don't and you know you don't deserve redemption when he shoots him um one thing that he also mentioned when he was uh talk giving his kind of um last speech before he was killed he he was said he's proving his point that with all these missing members to create the sentinel that the police didn't care and that's why the sentinel works for the image of their savior or the sentinel however however you want to take it um because this could have been stopped a long time ago <laughs> and he's proven the fact that the police do not care nobody cares about this community because he was able to do all this the entire time right and as um, twisted as it is as twisted as it is and i was i also wanted to ask you what were your feelings about whitely like dying this fast we're, all, we're only in episode six right now keep in mind there's three more episodes after this one I was I was surprised. Um, I'm kind of okay with it. Just pen, depending on where they go with it. I my, in my initial first thought was like, oh, okay, here we go. That's an interesting choice. My second thought was, oh no, does this mean AIDS is going to be the next three episodes, <laughs> or HIV is going to be the next three episodes? That's I'm not. I, that's like the least exciting part of this story so far. The murder investigation of the serial killer has been hands down the much more exciting part of what's been going on. My Thai killer. Um, obviously, we we'll, we have hints that there's another killer or perhaps more killers out there um 
but I thought it was an interesting choice and I have hope that there is a reason behind it to propel our characters into directions to wrap up the, the, their stories in the next three episodes. What yeah. do you think? What were your thoughts? How are you feeling? I was expecting us to at least go to episode, I guess. The gay be, pride. To episode eight. Sorry, we're in episode seven right now. To at least go into episode eight. Yeah. And like, if, if the Sentinel didn't all the way make it into the pride parade to almost make it into the pride parade, to, for, like I expected right. Wiley to somehow squeeze out of this again and they like stop him at the last minute type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so for them to get him kind of right here before the world sees the Sentinel and or he even gets close to displaying it was kind of uh, somewhat of a shock. And it's kind yeah. of a bummer because that we've like we've both said how much we enjoyed this actor so far. Jeff Hiller is fantastic. Two. He's 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 in the running for MVP for the season for sure. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think he is. So uh, bummer to lose him with three episodes remaining. And I mean, his, you know, he was only the first half of this one. So right. I don't know. Judgment remains on whether or not, you know, it pays off to have killed him so early. On the front page of The Native, of course, after this, we have My Thai Killer Dead as the front page headline. People are pulling it out of the bin. The deaths are finally, at least to a certain extent, getting some press. And in the office of- My Thai uh, Killer, wait, 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 My Thai Killer Dead gay hero cop what's the subhead <laughs> yeah and of course patrick's quoted in the article as basically like shitting on the rest of the police police department a little bit which his uh colleagues are none too thrilled about uh so you know mac marjara calls him into his i don't remember if that's his last name mac something like that calls chief. him into his office the chief um and basically says you know you're not getting fired i want you to stay around and help improve relations with your community um but Patrick kind of rips him a new one is like, if you really cared and weren't just doing this as a PR stunt, you would reopen all these investigations of crimes that you closed and didn't bother to investigate because you figured no one cared enough. Mm-hmm. And I think his last line is fuck you and fuck the whole department. And then he walks out, which I thought was pretty badass, actually. I liked it. too. I was very happy he did that because it was a PR stunt and he could, if he really wanted to, you know, try to be, you know, play that role, the token role of like, you know, branching the department to the community and maybe he would be able to investigate one or two of them. But after what he's gone through in this, in this story, that is not, that is not his responsibility. That is not his role. He can get things done in a different way if he really wants to. Also, he has, he deserves to be able to step away for a little bit, but um, yeah, I like, he went through a whole laundry list of like different cases that got slipped, swept under the rug. I started to try to take notes on them and then I gave up because they were very detailed and, some of them were pretty funny and really depressing too. Mm-hmm. Well, and also too, now that he's gotten some like um, press coverage, theoretically he kind of be this public mm-hmm. um, activist and whistleblower for Absolutely. the police department, right? Uh, and call better attention to him that way, and kind of you know fulfill the role that Gino always envisioned him fulfilling effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patrick finds Adam waiting in the hallway, where um, he ends up bringing him in to see if you know he can identify any pieces of Sully from the pieces of the Sentinel. So we get a pretty close look at the Sentinel at this point in like actual bright lighting. Again, we should, I should also mention that like the lighting in Whiteley's lair was very dark and hard to see, even on my like pretty good TV. I should have turned out all my lights for that. Like there's been a couple of scenes this season where like, the contrast has been tough. I don't know if you felt that way. I definitely felt that. I had a I had a hit rewind a few times uh, early on until I finally was like, I'm just turning the lights off. I don't like to watch the show in the dark, but I have to. I had to today to 
figure out what was going on. I also needed subtitles today. I didn't get them, obviously, because I watched it live. But I could have really used subtitles because there was a few times I could not understand what was being mumbled or said by a few characters. Yeah. Yeah, Patrick did a bit of mumbling this episode. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, Adam can't find you know, no distinguishing piece of Sully on the Sentinel. Um, but he learns that, I think we learned at this point that there were seven bodies that the Sentinel's composed of. Right. Um, so, you know, Adam seems to start believing that Sully was not a victim of Whiteley. He still remembers having seen Big Daddy in the park. So he still is believing that there's some other, you know, killer out there. We have kind of a, a series of Adam moments here. Um, after this, Adam goes to talk to Hannah Wells, where she discloses basically the seriousness of the illness they both seem to have that's reducing their white blood cell counts. Um, from there, they both go to meet with Fran and her pals at some diner where they decide that it makes sense to be a, a piece of the pride issue of the native. Um, I will say that like, the, so the following scene, I've got a couple of problems with. First of all, aren't Fran and her buddies writing half of the article, like doing a double feature with half the articles in the native? So couldn't they decide to do that piece? Instead, they send Adam to the gene, to Gino, it seems. I, I mean, Adam wants to, to basically volunteer to write the piece on this. Um, at which point Gino kind of like calls him crazy. After, after all that Gino went through the past, however many months, Gino like, decides he's going to call Adam crazy for still being paranoid that there's some other killer out there. And to me, it was like, as much as you harped on this, Gino, and did such deep investigation, would you really just feel like, oh, we got this, the Monday killer. That must be the end of it. Uh, it seemed out of character for him. So I was a little, I don't know. First yeah. of all, I was a little frustrated by that. I was a little frustrated by the, like, whatever happened to Fran's half of the, the this issue of the native. Um, and then also Gino decides he's going to try to invite Theo, Hannah, and um, Adam to join him and Patrick on Fire Island. The other thing is like, how do Gino on his, you know, newspaper editor salary and Patrick on his police officer salary own some like big vacation rental on Fire Island? And Patrick just lost his job too, we should say. Yeah. So I think Gino says that they just put a down payment on it. So I don't think they own it yet in their defense. Um, but everything else you said about leading up to that point, I also was like, wait, what's going on? So Hannah says that one of she's this is I, I was kind of confused by this. So when Adam, who's apparently only apparently his only personality trait is agitated, because that's all he ever is in any of these scenes. Um Hannah says that um when they talk about Sully, because that's who Adam is still obsessed with trying to find, because he's not part of the seven body Frankenstein. Um, Hannah says, well, now that we, now that we can tell that Sully wasn't one of his patients or one of the um, parts of the Frankenstein, Sentinel. Yeah. the Sentinel. Thank you. Um, I can tell you now that Sully was one of my first patients. He was, he was my patient. And I don't, that I don't know what the ethical thing of why she couldn't tell him because now it's sure that he's not one of the bodies of the Mai Tai killer. I, I still think it's an ethical boundary if she's the, his doctor. I, well, and she just went on kind of her ethical high horse in the last episode while by not, not showing anything. Yeah, to Patrick and Gino. So that didn't make sense to me. I was like, huh? Mm -hmm. um, and then and then Adam like lays out like the 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 next um, 
theme of of the the rest of that uh, series, which is a season, which is how can this illness be related to all of these disappearances? That's like the driving question that's going to get us to the end, I believe. So of course they meet, like you said, they meet at the diner with um, Fran and her girls, and she says, Hannah says, like Adam and Han have the virus, and KK is the other gal there with that has the rash. And she says that Hannah says that she has a bacterial infection like the deer and friends like it's the ticks. I'm telling you, but I, I don't know. It, that, that was kind of a weird, confusing thing. And then everything about writing the article, we should write an article about this. And Hannah, the words, the word of the wise in, in that moment says, we have to have evidence. You can't just like <laughs> write something, Adam, oh, you chose him for your baby daddy too. Hmm. Um, but there's the yeah it's she 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 I think her exact quote was even something to uh, the line of like half-baked science always leads to conspiracy theories which I feel like was a little bit of a nod to modern day absolutely and let's not forget um our lady J who wrote this part partially wrote this episode also wrote the milkmaids episode which also had the heavy hand not heavy-handed had the themes of science and you know, uh, American, uh, the latest American horror, American horror stories. stories. Right, right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, I and I like the commentary there and that, and like, you know, science gets misinterpreted. And anyway, and then when Adam does go to Gino, Gino's like, oh, so now there's this leather daddy stalking people with blood disorders. <laughs> it's like, bro, you just helped solve a mystery with a serial killer who is piecing people together, like. Is that really out of the out of this world ridiculous to you at this point with all these other bodies or all these other people missing? No. So uh, you're right. Gino's been playing kind of different types of Gino. It seems like maybe he just wants to be done with it. But if he's a really dog, uh, dogged journalist like he seems to be, he would not let this lie. Well, so um, let's, I guess, finish off the kind of the Gino and uh, Patrick storyline, and then we'll talk about the Well storyline, how that ends in this episode. But um, Patrick, meanwhile, sees a vision of Barbara in a white dress across the street from him that's kind of like makes him think he's losing his mind. Um, this felt a little bit, I don't know, a little bit of an homage to other kind of horror movies, a little bit corny at the same time too. Yeah. Back at home, when Gino's talking to him, they're prepping for Fire Island. Patrick seems kind of in a daze. Um, I also was like, does Gina know that he quit his job at this point? Is this the same day? Um, but Patrick, I don't know, starts to kind of like tell Gina that he's losing his mind. And Gino kind of comes over and holds him and that tells him everything okay. And I did write here that I do I do believe their relationship when I see Gina holding him here. It's like complicated mm-hmm. as it's been. Um, it feels like it, it feels genuine. Right. I, I appreciated that. And then the last kind of Gino scene we have in this episode is Gino at the typewriter um, writing an essay about pride. And it, it feels very kind of that noir-esque vibe that we had more at the beginning of this season where there's like a voiceover. I see chain smokes. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's kind of going on this whole, you know, connecting the, the concept of pride to like, what does it really mean for the community at this point in time when everything's happening? Right. Uh, and he, they're like, we weave in this clip of a hypocritical politician. Um, do you remember the name of the politician? And I, I think this was more in like the early two thousands where there was the, the politician that was like 
anti-gay rights activist, but then like was found foot to tapping. Like, be go- yeah, foot tapping in, in bathrooms. I can't remember what his name is because there's been so many at this point, but yeah, I do remember mm-hmm. that story. So I feel like that was the illusion there. Mm-hmm. Um, although perhaps there was even some like more in the 80s this was a direct reference to. Mm-hmm. And G- then Gino kind of has this vision of like the Sentinel coming to life and, and basically being the defender of the gay community and killing people and stuff like that. Right. Um, and that's the way the episode, this is, that's the scene the episode ends on. And I wasn't quite sure what that's teeing us up for in the next episode. That I, that, like, I don't it's know, almost, that, that felt a little strange. Yeah, it's almost like a false ending where it could have just wrapped it up right there. And, you know, that's what I was feeling is like, it felt like that moment could have been the end of the season almost. If So I'm like, that's why I'm curious, like, what is, what is, what are the next three episodes even hold for us? I know, which could be very, that's, it's a little alarming knowing how uh, American Horror Story's track record that's, goes. That's, where, that's exactly where, where I'm like, uh, there's like, I, a red flag is like slowly starting to like raise inside yep. me. Yeah. Um, but we should just also comment the other kind of end of the story. Hannah Wells is back at her massive condo um, in New York City, <laughs> which I thought she was working at kind of a, it's, un- I mean, she's a doctor, but like, she's also kind of working at a public clinic, but. I, I don't know. That part's unclear. Her, we, she's very confusing. But we see her vomit into the sink and the camera kind of lingers on the window when she walks away, which makes you think, oh, we're going to see something in that window or someone's yeah. going to come in that window pretty soon. Um, she tries calling Adam, but he's not there. So she just leaves a message that she can't come to Fire Island because she's too pregnant. Uh, then she calls her mother, who seems like she hasn't talked to her mom in a long time. Um, I mean, and this, asks this- if she can... This is this setting up the whole this whole sequence right here is like the trope for when someone's some character is about to leave us like mm-hmm. in a bad way. Yeah. Um, one thing I was like, if you don't know what the virus is, though, would like, do you really want to go stay with your mom and risk passing it on to her? If I was her mom, I'd be like, hold up, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, let me learn a little bit more there. about this illness. <laughs> yeah. um, I'll send you some Grubhub. <laughs> yeah. And and then we see Big Daddy watching her from from the window. Yeah. Uh, and I mean. I guess at this point, like it's it's just it's very clear he represents HIV. It's just unclear how that relates to like the Molotov cocktail incident at the bar and everything like that. I think um, on our Facebook page, Jen described the the uh, Big Daddy as being kind of this executioner type role. Um, but I don't mm-hmm. know. It, it it still like seems to be crossing the line between like metaphor and real life entity. That's creating havoc everywhere so i i don't know i, I i'm worried we're not going to get us get satisfying clarity around that they have three episodes to do it so i hope they do but i i've got some apprehensions yeah it seems uh, and i'm not trying to diss the show because i love the show but it seems it'd be a little out of its wheelhouse to try to do some artistic representation of imagery as people are struggling with their condition you know like so you know big daddy's trying to kill patrick but he's really not there only certain people can see him it's just really just him wrestling i imagine that if 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 they if they leave it not um not actual literal physical being and an imagery thing that'd be kind of cool to see how they resolve anything with it or if my when i'm thinking is we might see some type of actual interaction which would maybe not put it completely clear that it's a real person but something 
hor horrific that could be real. I don't know. That doesn't really make sense, but. Well, and I'm still wondering too, if for the sake of the show, if we're going to see them actually connect HIV to Plum Island and like, mm -hmm. you know, biotesting, you know, bioweapon yeah. facilities and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I, it's, it'll be interesting what happens on Fire Island. It also is setting it up as like this isolated island where, oh, like, are we going to get like a little whodunit type story where we start losing our main characters one by one? Because remember, with the exception of, of, um, uh, Henry getting his arm cut off and I guess Barbara like we haven't really lost any any our characters have not been hurt or damaged really with the with the exception of their HIV but you know what I mean we haven't yeah. lost anyone to a serial killer. no I think we'd anticipated there was going to be more upfront murders of main characters earlier on in the season at least um, I remember I remember I was even predicting like oh so and so is going to die first and stuff like that but those things didn't end up happening so it, they've listened too much to us where we say you killed off too many people and you keep bringing back to life that was a way to like lower the stakes and another way to lower the stakes is let everyone live <laughs> <laughs> I I don't anticipate that happening I'm curious to see if yeah. we lose some people in the next few and kind of this home stretch but um given all that I mean again this episode was pretty short I think like it actually on my clock it was like there's still six minutes left till 11 when the episode ended. Also, there was a lot of commercials I felt like in this episode. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, I don't uh, know. Well, how would you rate this episode? I never keep up um, with my notes while I'm watching it live, but this time I did because <laughs> there was so many commercials and it did end six minutes before the hour. Anyway, um, I liked it. It was good. I think I really did miss Sam and Theo in this episode. It would have been nice to visit with them. I, I've, I've lost any connection. I think with Hannah and Adam, I'm not really into them as characters anymore. They don't really bring anything to me besides just buffoonery <laughs> and yeah. weird agitation. Agita. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, even Fran, I'm like, Oh, Fran's now, but not a, psychic anymore now she's into this role it's like they just try to write sandra bernhardt into another scene so they could use her because she's great she's cool but i don't know it's that that whole the whole hiv storyline has never felt really worthwhile to me so i am happy to see them kind of wrap up the mai tai killer i wish there had been a little more tension and excitement throughout that the final sequence the climax of that murder mystery or not murder mystery but the crime and and ca catching the bad guy but it didn't really happen um i still enjoyed it and it's sad to see jeff hiller go uh hopefully he comes back in another american horror story movie or tv show but he was fantastic as mr whiteley um i would say i would give this three and 3.75 my ties which is still decent i think um <sighs> I was I I'm just gonna say this out front because I want to say that I had already planned to give it 3.7 tied my ties. So I hope you are no I don't I want people to think that. I'm copying you. No. Um, but my reasoning is very similar to yours. I, I really do wish that they had waited to kill Whiteley and given us at least another episode to get there and like built up the tension a little bit more. The more and more I'm thinking about it, I I almost wish, and I think that this would have been the smart approach, is instead of simultaneously having this background storyline about a, a, a like a virus and then having kind of 
big daddy be this kind of unexplainable phenomenon in the background. I honestly wish we had just, we just had a second killer and I don't know, maybe this is still possible, but it's not fully in the way that I would envision it. In which I wish we just had a second killer that was rampaging in the city or like some weird killing, like killer, killer cult, or I don't, I don't know, some series of additional serial killers. And they didn't do anything at all about the disease, but the killers were supposed to be a metaphor for HIV in terms of killing people. And we, as as smart and intellectual viewers, basically detect the more subtle connection to the virus rather than there being a literal virus spread. Um, Yeah, I agree. Again, I don't want to have too much judgment before we see the way these last three episodes play out, but I feel like the way it's trending... I, I'm clearly concerned about it. So that's where my 3.75 um, comes from. But again, I mean, I think even in the midst of all that, this grouping at the beginning with Henry Gino, Patrick and Whiteley, like all terrific acting. So I, I, yeah. I enjoyed the, I, I think I definitely enjoyed the first half of this episode more than the second half. Yeah, I, I think so too. I agree. You know, maybe when we get to Fire Island, it'll be fun. That's what the next episode is called. So we know we're going to be there. there, One other thing that I guess I hadn't pointed out that I thought about with Patrick's vision of Barbara and him having the vision of the people, the the dead bodies that um, that, uh, Whiteley had captured uh, before he shot him. I think there's still a little bit more of a secret in Patrick that we don't completely know about. And that would be kind of cool. They've been hinting at the secret Barbara has been for a long time and Gino and that, and every time he's revealed something, it's like, well, that's not that damaging or big of a deal. Right. So, I, I I know it'll be interesting if there's nothing else and it's like, Oh, so that they, they ruined on earth at all. Um, Hopefully this isn't like double feature where the end just, well, yeah, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Um, I mean, we, we, uh, there's been a number of seasons where we felt like the ending kind of flopped. 1984, that kind of happened. Cult, that kind of happened. So, fingers yep. crossed. I mean, we always talk. We always used to talk about sticking the landing. So we'll see if <laughs> see what if happens. The landing is, is stuck. Um, all right. Well, uh, until we record episode eight, Chris, where can people find you? I'll be on Instagram and Twitter at Chris Houston, Chris with a K. How about you, Tyler? I'm on Instagram and uh, I'm no longer on Twitter, actually. Um, Good for you. You know what? I It's honestly it was more just a thing where like I wasn't using it anyway. And it was like all the turmoil that's happening there. Um, I was this already, close. It was already kind of a toxic place. And I was like, ah, I don't know that I just I just don't want to be. A, I don't know that I want to be a part of it. So I don't know. Maybe maybe next time you hear me, I'll be like. Funny Mastodon. Mastodon. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. I was uh, I'm, not, cu- I'm not currently on Mastodon, uh, but who knows? <laughs> um, but also you can find us on YouTube, uh, this American Horror Story podcast on YouTube, if that's how you prefer to listen to your podcasts. Yep. Um, as always, you can check us out at uh, facebook.com slash American Horror Story, and you can message us your thoughts, theories, and questions there, or by emailing us at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. And as always, if you don't mind rating us or reviewing us on your favorite podcast platform, we sincerely appreciate that. Um, Until next episode, uh, I guess happy hauntings and enjoy. Enjoy.